0: Ain't nobody got time for dawdlin'. Apparently. Uh I'm Harland Cold Calculation Grant. And I'm Ryan openin' the breezeway, McKenna. And this is the Doddler's Philosophy Podcast. Shorts? <laughs> Shorts with the question mark. <laughs> interesting that is that this is a short because this is something that my co-host is
1: deeply passionate about <laughs> deeply well you know what i'm more passionate about than than the idea itself having ideas uh yeah i i mean sure <laughs> but like i'm deeply passionate about having a way in to the humanities discussion. Um, What I mean by that is, for a very long time, and still to this day, I guess, I've always been just more interested in, in a way, I guess, non-human stuff. And I've always needed some way into the human stuff and when it comes to all the people i have a tendency to interact with um at least in the last 10 to 15 years it's always it's kind of been it's it's been dominated by people who are more concerned with not just yourself harland but lots of people they're like oh yeah language and you know, things that matter to people like psychology. And I just, I don't know. I've, I've been surrounded by that a lot more. Um, and I'm not a pure physical guy either. So when I was going to school, I always liked a little bit more complicated systems than just simple. Like, I say simple, but just simpler systems, like just basic physical ones, you know? Um, and a lot of the people that i went to school with they were into those basics you know physics type you know situations systems whatever and i and i i've always struggled cuz i've always been stuck between those two things and but at the same time like people that i would think would be my people like biologists or whatever they tend to just kind of choose going in one direction or the other, it seems as well. Like they, you know, become molecular biologists. So then it's just back to being more physicsy kind of stuff. Or there's a lot of people who are like, you know, they're really, they're humanities people, but then they've studied uh, biology or something. And so they have a good sense and they're like, I study monkeys or whatever, but really it's all about people. You know, it's kind of where they tend to lean. And so for me, I've always been like, God damn it, what about just the pure kinds of systems? And so it's kind of a lonely existence in a way. It feels that way to me anyway. And so to have ways into a conversation in the way that I know how, which is by, even if I'm not the, even if the idea has been thought of by someone else before, if I arrive there, you know, and it gets me uh, some kind of, Purchase into the conversation, then, in my human social animal state, that's satisfied a little bit more, you know, and I get to feel part of the the thing rather than just off on my lonesome hmm play the sad violin. I'll let it that in myself, so that's kind of what this basic thing is. On about. So when you say, like, he's passionate about this idea, I'm more passionate about what the idea buys me, you know? <laughs> and so, but I'd like the idea. And there's only one way. F- well, there are a few ways for me to get into, you know, this that I know that I'm aware of. And the one I like most is the one where I'm really bought into an idea compared to others, you know? And. I like it when things, at least for the interim, make sense, you know. Um, And that's kind of where we're at with this topic tonight.
0: So it's the way for the person who tends to be, or in your developmental phases, more interested in rocks and plate tectonics or maybe big cats or something, but not so much about these humans, and then you go out and meet other people in your community and you hear a bunch of human obsession anthropocentrism and you have a hard time empathizing with us and you're well yeah well, the humans are just one type of system amongst all these other kinds and this is the way you have found to care about humanity
1: <laughs> yeah one of the ways yeah for sure absolutely um but in a way, it kind of what it does is it allows me to steal it back into my domain. You know? You know that kind of move where you're like, Oh, well, all that you're interested in is nothing. I'll show you what it really is, but I'll do it in a way that you will understand. You know? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think know. I'm familiar with this move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... um. Without further ado, I don't know. I can just kind of go into it.
0: I don't know. There's been plenty of do's already. No further.
1: Okay. So, the. It, I think I want to tell a story again. I like telling stories. Whether or not people like to hear them is another thing entirely. But I remember you had... Purchased a copy in, this is back when you lived here. You live here now in Portland. But back when you lived here before you moved to Minnesota and where you're from. Anyway, whatever the fuck. And you had purchased somehow um, W. Brian Arthur's... um, uh, what the fuck is the name of that book? about It's not What Technology Wants. That's Kevin Kelly. It's another book that came out around the same time, though. Um, anyway, it was about technology and how it evolves. Uh, what it is and how it evolves. Anyway. I can tell that you don't remember the name of the book either. Nope, don't remember. <laughs> anyway, I could probably actually turn around. It's probably in here somewhere. Anyway, while I'm looking, I'll continue to tell the story. But it was a book by W. Brian Arthur, who's an economist and a complexity scientist. And um, The Nature of Technology is what it's called. Uh, And he was talking about um, technology with respect to how it evolves. And he had... He basically said it, it doesn't evolve out, you know, through like natural selection or anything like that, or some other kind of similar type of process that we associate with biological organisms. In the same, like at the organism level, he was talking about it's like a it's combinatorial, the evolutionary process for technology, and he lays out examples and all that kind of stuff. This good stuff that um i was got I was eating it up because I had read about him um through the whole Santa Fe Institute and all the other things that have been associated with complexity science and all that, and I liked it, and I thought you know I mean he was just sort of one of the many players um and uh so reading this book, I was already familiar with him, and this seemed like a latest edition of things that he had been working on that he was putting out, and I just remember thinking when I was reading about combinatorial evolution of technology i was like all of these other things started you know uh raising their heads or coming to the surface in my head about you know combinatorial i remember fucking steven pinker was always just like it's an infinite combinatorial process language you know Produce a vast
0: number of possible combinations. Moreover, the number of different thoughts that we can express combinations, music, combinations, combinatorial power grammar is not just unconscious, but in a technical sense, it's infinite.
1: And all these kinds of things. And then uh um, you know, Chomsky was a big person on combination in language and the idea of um Uh, infinite possibilities from finite means or something along those lines. And that wasn't his idea, but he was someone else's. And so he's just talking about how recombination and combination is such a big deal to say language. And then it looked like uh, it was a big deal to technology now that it was at least now occurring to me uh, upon reading W. Brian Arthur's book. And I, dawned on me i was like fuck i think that's just it that's like the thing we do that's the thing we do at first i thought it's the thing we do that separates us out from other organisms but i hadn't really delved too deep into it but when talking about like oh what is it about humans you know there's always a big laundry list that people that people like put out there of you know of individual instances where people are like, oh, it's culture. Oh, it's language or, oh, it's whatever. You know, they're always saying it's something, one thing or another. And I have always noticed that people have those things always get kind of, um, you know, they lose ground not too soon after because they say, oh, well, look at these chimps by some definition of culture. These chimps seem to be exhibiting, you know, culture or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And so these things tend to not, last and so the whole what makes humans exceptional question kind of to me is sort of like well what is it then you know is it anything um and does it begin with us because when you read the literature from at least the popular more popular people like a chomsky or whatever you know then it's just like shit language started fifty thousand years ago who knows it was some kind of genetic mutation or who know, you know, and then we just, you know, from there we split off and we had the great leap forward and blah, blah, blah. And we're off to the races. And here we are landing on the moon, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of thought, well, um, if there is anything, then maybe it's this idea of combination in, in our behavior anyway. And, uh, but I thought no, there's more to it than that, and I started looking into it a little bit more. And um, to me, it's this—it's more—it's more of a, a kind of a, a brain thing, you know. That you—it's a cognitive type of deal where we can, you know, not just simply hold two things in our heads, but uh, we can join them in our heads and, and we can also play with multiple things in the joining of them and all that. And, um, come up with new stuff, come up with novel things. And I remember there's, and it's been a while now because I've been working on other things, but I don't remember this gentleman's name. I could look it up, but this is my usual (laughs) thing. Uh, but this one guy was talking about how creativity—you know—a big part of creativity is this co- is a, is a combinatorial type action, you know. And so, I kind of thought, well, you know, do other organisms exhibit combination in this in the ways that we do? And um, I ended up kind of coming up with the thought that it's just it's a cognitive combinatorialism it's some kind of way in which we join things together Uh, we can do it in our heads and we also know or we're well practiced in doing it in other ways and also it's in our development Uh, we do things rather readily and then of course it's in our language which seems even if it is something that we learn. We still are developmentally open to learning it compared to, say, chimpanzees or other organisms. And so um it's just this big thing. And, um yeah, I'll stop there for a moment if you want to jump in or whatever. So you're
0: considering, proposing, whether this ability that you call cognitive combinatorialism is the mechanism, the process, the capacity by which human beings, to the extent that we are separate and special in the biological realm that we're familiar with so far, is that The idea? This is what makes us special, if we're special at all?
1: That's where it started. Yeah. It's not there exactly anymore. Is
0: is this also, or instead, a proposal to explain what they call the Great Leap Forward? Like how, apparently, according to my understanding of the records and the current models, there was a relatively swift cha- change in the biosphere how many ever years ago and some people say oh well we started to cook and some people say oh we learned language and some people say well we figured out how to throw objects better you know is it right. an example for that
1: um it's it it's not an example for that because i don't think that that's a very uh I don't think that's accurate. Um but you know it depends on the time span involved. Uh fifty thousand years ago, if you're Chomsky and you want the gene mutation to happen and language and all that kind of crap. Um you know, then that's a really short period of time relative to say, I don't know, however long the human lineage has been, you know, existing or whatever. So there's that. Um but there's there's a few things I guess I need to kind of break down as you try and summarize and bring back to the to me anyway what do you think I'm saying and that's fine because I don't think I'm letting you or somehow purchase the details or whatever I guess where I'm at now and I haven't even like defined it I have a you know I'm just going to use a very simple definition today but you know the idea is that it's um it's it's not number one something that's unique to Homo sapiens. Number two, it's definitely then you know, and that's about li- just talking about organisms or lineages alive today. And then uh, any extinct lineages that are relative to us, I'm going to say we at least infer that those our ancestors had. A, at least to some extent lesser involved capacity of this, and that over time it you know with each new lineage and all that kind of stuff, more combinatorialism was happening so it's it's something that's going that we inherit and that we build upon and that maybe will be inherited by something else from us i don't know um but just in general, you know just extrapolating from there um and then. The other thing is it's the extent to which we combine, I think, is the main difference maker between Homo sapiens, at least as it is today, and all other lineages around. At least we'll just, we can also just cut it off and just say, Oh, well, let's just talk about animals, you know, things with nervous systems, as we would define a nervous system, you know? And then there's there's another marker when it comes to exceptionalism, but I we'll, we'll get to that.
0: Okay, do you want to start by simply defining combinatorialism
1: or combination? Well, the cognitive combinatorialism is the full thing that I guess I have a simple definition for. And, you know, by adjacency, the others are there, I guess, you know. Um, But... My simple, very simple definition right now is that cognitive combinatorialism is a cognitive process that joins two or more entities together. And that doesn't include a lot of other stuff that could be included. I just want it to be simple right now and not worry about, uh, you know, a tremendous number of other details because that could get bogged down. But in in essence... We join things in our head, or at least we recognize things as being joined. You know, like there's a perceptual component potentially there as well that goes, ah, these two things are together, you know, Um, as well as one being able to sit there and go, "Mm, I can put these two things together, you know. So there's that. Uh, That's essentially the essence of what it is that I'm trying to talk about. Yeah.
0: To not, I don't know. I don't want to bog us down, but this is a boggy downy comment. The way that definition went, it almost sounded psychokinetic or something, that you're going to use your mind to no. <laughs> somehow conjoin these entities. So would you ever want to say concepts or something instead? or Because like, on one side you have the cognition and on the other side you have entities. And then you're saying that we cognitively join the entities but I don't think you mean that.
1: Well, not like by floating them in the air with our mind powers, I guess, if that's what you're referring to.
0: Right, I I don't think that you think that, so what is... But I'm just saying,
1: is that what it sounds like, potentially? Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, I mean, the thing about entities, though, is that I guess you could say it joins two concepts together, but it's hard for me to know. I don't have a real... I don't know if I'm using, I, you know, things like concepts in the way that maybe others are using concepts. I don't know if I have a good version or thoughts about what concepts are, Uh, you know, in terms of how different are they from an idea or, you know, working out all these various potential synonymous uh, paraphrastic replacement functions. <laughs> so i mean i just that's the part that i don't i was meaning entity in order to be as um for one hand on the one hand to be as reduced as possible so not to worry about like perhaps a concept could be considered an entity you know i maybe i could even gone even further and said units of something you know or whatever but i'm just trying to say things that are perceived as discreet potentially you know yeah and then joining those together and a common vernacular right now in the world would be to say i'm doing it in my mind right you know in my mind you know not telekinesis or whatever some kind of is it about making plans that i'm
0: sitting here and thinking about what i might want To do, oh, I might want to put this thing on top of this other thing. Or, you know, is that a type of... Like, that's part of why I wanted to say, well, what's the definition of combination? Does spatial arrangement count? Or is there some sort of integration that has to happen? Or what counts as a combination?
1: Well, that's... You've used a word that I think is a... A word that is used... So this idea itself, I'm not... In trying to work it out and having, you know, done a lot of work at this point, oddly enough, even though I've kind of set it aside and I'm kind of just for the right moment, for this moment, revisiting it. Integration is is one of the words that is used by these two guys that I was talking about in the last episode that we put out. It's not a short. I don't even know if this one's going to be a short. (laughs) Probably not. But this will be short-ish. but the idea is, uh, I talk, called it conceptual blending. But these guys, uh, Gilles Faulkner and Mark Turner, psychologists or something or other, um, you know, they they also talk about conceptual integration. And I kind of think they use these two phrases interchangeably because uh, I have found in none of their like like papers or their their big book called The Way We Think, um, I haven't found where they say okay this is integration this is blending you know what i mean like so i'm not sure where the distinction is if it's just them being lazy and just like or maybe it's two guys and one of them's like damn it it's blending the other one's like it's integration and so every time they write their chapter you know they know they just can't touch that word and that's that guy's version of it or whatever i don't know but um so this idea of conceptual integration, that one they talk about conceptual spaces and mental spaces and things like that, and that you're bringing those things together. And so I don't know if that's a phraseology I want to take part in. My biggest thing is is that so long as you can envision it happening – or you can recognize it when it happens, like in your hands, or when you see it happen in the world and you see it for the action of joining or whatever. That's kind of the big thing, is so long as things can be joined. Um, that's the important part. Joined in a respect
0: that the agent in question considers relevant to one of their projects nice. right to harlandize it sure because in a more or less trivial sense i think that one could say everything is joined in some way or other well they exist in the same universe they exert gravitational influence on each other though it's minute and irrelevant you know it doesn't overcome friction but like there, everything is joined but it's This is a special kind of joining where the little monkey sitting there uh, exerting his mind powers to envision a possible world where those things were joined in a particular way might be preferable to that monkey than the world as it is now. So then, if they think that, then they go out and do some physical manipulations to try to make the joining happen
1: in actuality uh, is any of that yeah that sounds great I, I would the only thing i would really add to it is that, is that two things one is provocative and the other one is probably mundane the mundane one would t- speak to what you had just said which is that or they have a capacity to at least fit it into the relevance so they go oh look that rock fell from a i don't know cliff face fell on the nut and cracked it what if I just picked up the rock and did it? You know, and like, so to see possible worlds that aren't necessarily always of your making. So that would be important for like learning, right? If you see another take a rock and break something, you know, that's valuable, like a nut or something, then you should be able to go, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. You know, like, rather than be like, I don't know what he just did, but he sure had that, and you know, ate that nut. I wish I had a nut. You know, that's not going to work as well as, you know, you know, that wouldn't be that would be evolutionarily perhaps less preferable under the under whatever the certain circumstances are. The other more provocative thing would be to say that it is so like deeply embedded in the way we think to use the quote to quote the title of that book that we would say things like well everything is joined like we would say shit like that like we would communicate or think that or or somehow that would be. That's part of our ontology, like, and to me that might be the more, it's kind of basic, it's probably oversimplified, but that would be my only provocative thing. I don't know if we necessarily want to go all the way down that, I do have somewhat of a structure to this, and that could be fun for another time, we'll just have to revisit this and be like, oh yeah, he said that provocative thing, I think that's bullshit or whatever, but... Mm-hmm. um I do kind of it does pull on other things, but I haven't said them yet, so I don't want to be like, you know what I mean. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, do you mind if I move forward, or do what do you want to do? You want to continue on with something else? Did it, something else? Do you feel it? Forward you know? we go. So then I was just thinking of a framework, and so I mentioned that Gilles Faulkner, and Mark Turner guy, and they are mentioned. Um, or not, uh, let me put it th- to you this way, Douglas Hofstetter, who we've done an episode on, back in the day Harlan used to like be able to whip out the number of the episode, but we did some episode on Douglas Hofstadter and Emmanuel Sanders' uh, surfaces and essences. And I think it was in that book where they um, mention the way we think and conceptual blending and all that kind of shit too, which is fun to see them at least be aware of it. Um, But their whole thing was about analogy as the fuel and fire of thinking. And we talked quite a bit about that. We devoted an entire episode to it. But I kind of just to put it in a frame uh, framework of some kind, um, I do kind of use theirs uh, to help a little bit. And so... One of the things that we both kind of dis- disagreed on momentarily, as I recall, it stuck out more to me than it probably did to you, was that in my thinking was I was arranging it such that um, something like a categorization comes out of an, an analogy making, and I think as you were, you were like, ah, you know, I don't know, I mean, and I think sure you could say, well, it's probably all happening relatively simultaneously or happening so quickly together that it's hard to really care whether or not one thing happens before another. But I was just thinking in terms of the things that they had talked about in their book. And in particular on page 20 in the prologue, they say, we claim that cognition takes place thanks to a constant flow of categorizations and that at the base of it all is found in contrast to classification the phenomenon of categorization through analogy making, which endows human thinking with its remarkable fluidity. So I think it privileges analogy making over categorization is how I interpreted that. Um, and that analogies are essentially just as they say on page 21, um, You know, that something where we We rely ceaselessly on resemblances perceived between a present situation and ones we encountered earlier. And that was their saying like, hey, this is just as simple as we were to make it here for the rest of this book. Um, Going into more detail later, blah, blah, blah. And so I was thinking in terms of a framework, then I think of... If and the, the, here I talk about concepts because and but yet I don't I'm like eh, I don't know what concepts you know but anyway, um I was thinking that concepts that we would have would be like analogy and out of analogy you get categorization or categories, and then once you get categories you can do combinations. You don't necessarily have to do it that way, but here's the action effects or whatever, the actions that I see analogy category combination having having is with analogy it's comparing and then with categorying uh categorization it's sorting and then with combination you're joining. And then below that are or, or near to that or whatever, I'm thinking of like these sort of conditions that are related to the concepts and their sort of actions or whatever. And so for analogy and comparing, it would be like similarity or difference. And then with like category and sorting, it's like in and out. And then with combination and joining, it's like more or less. It's that sort of, you're kind of going from one to the next. So it's like you know, for things to be in and out, you first have to maybe have some sort of idea about what's similar and what's different, you know, to be able to put things into their sort of categories. And, you know, and then for things to be in and out, you have to have a sense, or in order for having a sense for things to be more or less, you kind of need categories to start working on that a little bit more, like whether things are in and out of a box or whatnot. Um, And that was just sort of the basic idea is that, you know, once you've, got your little sorted uh bins or whatever you know you can start to you know really start to join them and you can say well i've got these over here and those over there and i bring these together and i can create new functions or whatever that's sort of the general approach that i was trying to kind of give it like a if this is a cognitive type processing um I kind of think it's sort of a a later thing. And then if one was to try and like put it in terms of like organisms or whatever, um, it definitely looks like organisms definitely are, many of them are more capable of this sort of analogy categorization processing, but very, you know, comparatively much fewer seem to be able to do these combinations. Um, and some of it might be just the conditions that they're in, like sharks. I talked a little bit about all this stuff in the, uh, you know, the the um, Surfaces and Essences Douglas Hofstetter episode. Um, and, and, you know, they take these little test bites and that's kind of like a, you know, it's just, you know, they don't know what it is, but it's not a seal, you know, or whatever. So they're biting into the surfboard or the human or whatever. And then out of that, they kind of, you know, they probably don't go back to the human, although the person's bleeding out. But if it was a seal and it, you know, met all the criteria of their, you know, flesh, you know, the their teeth and gums pressing into the flesh of a seal or something might, you know, they'll continue to try and scarf it down or whatever after they feel like they've subdued it. Um. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of went from there. I'm not fully prepared to do that whole thing where I kind of, walk it from like worms to chimpanzees or whatever but that's sort of the idea there with the framework okay that's you're saying
0: the the idea being the cc right or which i yeah yeah that's the big what's the big idea right cool i think mostly (laughs) makes sense i like your example of noticing an accidental conversion of potential to kinetic energy achieving a project of opening a nut and making an analogy between oh look at the this heavy thing this heavy hard thing was high and then it got low really fast and that cracked something you know that's a hard thing to do to break these nuts open so maybe if I could somehow make that happen on demand. That would be nice. Oh, well, well, you know what I'm able to do? I can pick up rocks. Okay. So I can take this other one. It looks kind of similar. It should be good enough. And I can make it go high up with my little muscles here. And then you pick it up and you strategically slam it down on another one. And now it works. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You notice that the world has a combination in it. You abstract out from that and make, and through making analogies, construct a category rock, nut, smashing event, drop, rock dropping event, causing a smash. And then you can existentially behave. You can make that happen. You can do something about it. So then you can combine a nut and two rocks. To get some food out. Yeah. And I think, and your point, or one of the points being, Homo sapiens are prolific, prodigious, virtuosic combiners.
1: Yes. Absolutely. That's, and I think not just Homo sapiens, but I'm going to just say, if I say humans, I just mean all of those you know that we would say are part of our you know you know ancestral lineage perhaps you could say as defined by paleoanthropologists with respect to morphology you know um but it's whatever it is it started from some most recent common ancestor with the line that leads to chimpanzees you know and bonobos and somewhere along the line that you know this clade that we are part of neanderthals erectines the whole thing you know they probably had this capacity as well especially since if you look at chimpanzees here you go you're, the whole point of this was to be more human centric and now you're like yeah but it's not just humans it's there's clades and <laughs> yeah this is my way of like forcing everybody into my world i think um so yeah the the context is just that you know we humans have it and the extent to which we exhibit it is i would say a major difference or the major difference between humans and the human clade and all of the, all these other animals that we can think of or that we would look to to help us understand how we relate in an evolutionary capacity with other organisms and stuff what makes us different i think it's just this like you were saying this virtuosity or this you know prodigious exercise of this kind of cognitive process. Um, I think, you know, one could say it's in our language, our technology, however you define those two things. I think it's also in a way kind of in our metaphysics. And as a result, it's in the products and in the intersections of these domains. Um, It just appears at least to be in everything we do or at least everything we value or deem important. And like you know, and of course, relative to those, like I was saying, relative to those we share a most common ancestor with, you know we do it a lot, and relative to them again, we do it well um, so that's kind of the yeah, the sort of the, the basic idea of what it is, the framework, some of the context we've kind of wove into that into this uh topic, so then the last part is this idea that I would say is. The exceptionalism part. And um this inclination affords our vast influence over global ecosystems. You know, it's sort of the idea that it's like um it's like photosynthesis in a way, in that its nearly ubiquitous effects on the world and the relative freedom and population growth it provides its bearers. Um, it's it's something that allows us to get ahead in a way that most other organisms are just trying to keep up, you know? And I guess I can go into this idea. I would call it potentially not human exceptionalism, but biotic exceptionalism, at least so far as we talk about the domain of biology and that we're referencing other biological systems. And... Um, when it comes to something like photosynthesis, the idea—these are the, the models, at least. This is a very this is a very prevalent model—is that photosynthesis happened in an um, anoxic way or oxygenic way, meaning uh, organisms had this capacity for an electron transport chain in uh, in their cells. These are single-celled organisms. This is billions of years ago. They had this capacity, but they didn't break down hydrogen and and oxygen. They broke down like hydrogen and sulfide. And a lot of these kinds of chemicals that they would break down as a source of uh, using the light from the sun, just like they do today with the oxygenic photosynthesis, but they would break it down and the waste product would just be, you know, stuff that other organisms in the environment could handle and but they also relied in a way specifically on certain conditions like you kind of probably need to be be near some kind of volcanic activity or event or whatever Um, something like maybe deep sea thermal vents or something like that or something near it Um, and then you also need to be kind of near the surface so that you can catch those rays and then Oxygenic photosynthesis was like uh, you don't need to be in that first place. You can just be pretty much anywhere because you're living in a bath of you know H2O. <laughs> and like uh, breaking the, the bonds of hydrogen and oxygen to be able to capture an electron and move it through your transport chain was fine. But you still had this oxygen waste product, which was really bad for organisms and so creating a lot of this oxygen meant that you were effectively kind of really polluting the world around you and um because one you know organisms were doing that they probably were also being affected by it while at the same time affecting all those organisms out there that didn't use photosynthesis as a means of life or living or whatever um and so uh you know, you would potentially poison the well or whatever at the same time. And so from there, there has to be a way to deal with this problem, you know, of having uh, added oxygen in the environment. Some of it would have been captured by the environment itself, like iron would have combined with oxygen, because oxygen loves to combine with lots of things. And here I'm using the word combine. But as well you know maybe there were those that developed and not maybe but there were those that clearly likely developed an ability to deal and to um minimize the effects of oxygen kind of like neutralize it and so then they would you know if they can also do the photosynthesis and do this you know this this uh you know neutralization process then they can live to see another day and at the same time they can you know get some gain some ground in the their ecosystems again potentially but you know that means a lot of organisms are probably going to go extinct because if they're not going to adapt to the changes the bad stuff happening potentially then how are they going to deal and i kind of think that our extensive virtuosities in you know being able to combine things and having a a major cognitive component with it is sort of doing that today like I think our ability to manipulate the world around us and make it do what we want it to do and say fuck all to those ecosystems you know I want to have farm fields or I want to uh, have skyscrapers or I want to propel my little machine or whatever it is we create a lot of waste out of that that other organisms have a very difficult time dealing with whether that's you know, simple waste products that go into all these other, you know, you know, have these v- various teleconnections throughout all these kinds of systems, which change temperatures or uh, precipitation regimes or whatever, or we are creating a ton of, um, you know, erosion and weathering and we're, you know, polluting and, you know, contaminating, you know, various types of systems Um some of that's going to come back to haunt us, but then some of it also will, some of us will be able to deal with those kinds of changes or whatever, because there's variation. Not only that, there'll be some organisms that just for whatever reason, I don't know, they probably have their own variation, are capable, they're plastic enough in their behavior or whatever it is to come along with us. So some of them are, would be like crows and squirrels and cities and things like that. Um, that don't need pristine old-growth forests in order to survive. They can no, we'll live with these things now. And I imagine some of that must have been going on in the past when you know photosynthesis, oxygenic photosynthesis, was happening. So I'm wondering if these are like major changes, if it's related to that at all. Because we even now we have this whole thing about the Anthropocene. And how we're, you know, really leaving our mark in the geological record already. And the f- oxygenic photosynthesis potentially was leaving its mark through the banded iron formations, where there were these layers of uh, rust, rusted sediments, because the oxygen is combining with the iron in the, you know, marine realm, and was to- dropping down as it was, you know, s- you know, um, falling out creating a sediment chemical sediment and then it would stop the the rust and then it would all of a sudden be just straight up iron as if the oxygen had been like depleted in some way and one has to wonder if in part that was because there were probably major die-offs happening and there were fewer you know oxygenic photosynthesizers in the environment and then once they were able to deal with you know the changes again they were coming back or whatever um or, you know, deal with the poisons, you know, and it's probably just a process, a cycling, potentially. Anyway, that's kind of the idea, and that's sort of where it connects up with big things, like, you know, anthropogenic climate change and whatnot. But I just would think that maybe, you know, like photosynthesis is for some, you know, perhaps this kind of cognitive combinatorialism is for us. That's my favorite
0: part, I think. I like... Utilizing this idea as a way to understand our uh ecological impact and such and making analogies between this and what other yeah biotic critters do,
1: yeah, so yeah, that's the biotic exceptionalism via and I haven't said the phrase in a while, I'm itching to say it, but via this other model called niche construction, um, which is the idea that you create a situation that you're like, oh shit, <laughs> and you yourself even have to adapt to. Um, and then from there, you know, whoever gets the best or most favorable uh, ability to deal with the problem potentially lives on, survives, and reproduces, and then that's when natural selection starts. In a big way, I would say. I mean, I, I don't want to say, and that's when it starts. Jesus, <laughs> watch yourself. <laughs> anyway, so that's it. Like that's the basic thing. And when we were talking about ontology last time, I was just like. God damn it this just seems more like you know of course the analogies of course are always happening it seems uh but the the the, the idea that he was talking about I was like oh Christ and it reminded me of the Buddhist monk example and that that is from not just Arthur Kessler and his idea about create his ideas about creativity um, and his idea of bisociation or whatever, but also how that was then incorporated into these Gilles Faulkner and and um, Mark Turner, uh, their conceptual integration, conceptual blending idea, whatever that... It drives me crazy when they do that, but whatever. Maybe I still don't get it.
0: The real metaphysical question is, was this a long, short, or a short, long? <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Are you good? Yeah. All right.
0: Combinations. 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 Combinatorial power...